0: Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today.
1: My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.
0: I want to bring you the story of another incredible Christian hero. You may have heard of him. His name is Eric Little. And there was a movie made about his life that won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 1981. The movie was Chariots of Fire. I will be reading Eric's story from the One Year Christian History book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. In Tientsin, China, in 1902, a baby boy was born to Scottish missionaries James and Mary Little. They named him Eric. When Eric was four, his father read in the newspaper how a Scotsman, Wyndham Houswell, had won second place in the 400-meter race in the Olympics, the first Scot ever to win an Olympic medal in track. When his father tried to explain this to Eric and his older brother, Eric asked whether that meant that no Scotsman had ever finished first. The answer was yes. Eric's parents took him and his older brother to a boarding school for sons of missionaries in England, and then they returned to China. At school, both boys excelled in rugby, cricket, and track. Eric set a school record of 10.2 seconds in the 100-meter dash. Eric attended the University of Edinburgh, where he continued to excel in track he quickly emerged as the fastest sprinter in Scotland and became a national hero. In college, his older brother was active with other Christian college students in holding evangelistic meetings throughout Scotland. When Eric was invited to speak at one of these rallies in 1923, he accepted. The next morning, every newspaper in Scotland announced that Eric Little had preached at an evangelistic service the experience stirred Eric's soul. It gave him a desire to share the gospel with whomever would listen. Over the next two years, he spoke to thousands throughout the British Isles, men and women who came to hear the famous athlete, but who returned to hear his message of salvation. Yet newspapers questioned Eric's commitment to running since he was spending so much time preaching. The Olympics were to be held in Paris in 1924 and the hopes of England were now pinned on the young Scott as the nation's champion sprinter. Eric's best event was the 100-meter dash, but when the schedule for the Olympic races was published, the first heats for the 100 meters were on a Sunday. Eric held the conviction that he was never to race on Sunday and refused to do so. The English Olympic Committee tried to have the date for the first heats changed, but to no avail. As a result, Eric was entered in the 200 and 400-meter races, events in which he was not at all as dominant as the 100 meters. The British press attacked him mercilessly. A traitor to Scottish sporting, to all that Wyndham Haswell stood for, announced one newspaper. On the Sunday of the 100-meter trial in, in Paris, Eric preached in the Scots Kirk, the Scottish Presbyterian Church in Paris, in the 100-meter meter trials, Harold Abrahams was the one English spinner to qualify for the finals the next day. Harold Abrahams won the 100-meter race, the first British runner to win a gold medal in the Olympics. Eric saw that this was just part of God's plan. On Wednesday, Eric finished second in the 200-meter dash, the first Scot ever to win a medal in the 200 meters. But there was still one race to go. Eric qualified on Thursday for the 400-meter finals, but he was far from being the favorite. The finals were held on Friday, July 11, 1924. As he prepared to go to the stadium, the team masseuse handed Eric a small folded piece of paper. It read, He that honors me, I will honor, quoting First Samuel 2.30. Eric Little won the 400-meter race, setting a new world record of 47.6 seconds. He was the first Scot to win Olympic gold in track. And after that, the next year, he went to China to teach at the Anglo-Chinese College at Tinsen. In 1937, Eric began working in in Sioshang, traveling back and forth to Tinsen to be with his family. In 1941... Sensing that the political climate was changing, Eric believed it was no longer safe for his family to remain in China. He sent his wife Florence, who was expecting their third child and their two daughters, back to her parents' home in Canada. On March the 12th, 1943, Eric and hundreds of other enemy nationals were interred at a Japanese prisoner of war camp at Waisen in Shantung Province. About 1,800 people lived in the camp with buildings that were in shambles, streets that were littered with beds, radiators, desks, and more. The soup line stretched for 70 yards and typically entailed a 45-minute wait. There were roll calls twice a day. But in between, the prisoners were allowed to organize regular activities such as entertainment programs and church services. Soon after Eric arrived at Weissen, 300 students from the Chifo School of the China Inland Mission, all separated from their parents, arrived at the prison. These children became Eric's focus. He organized a school in the prison camp for the children and served as their mentor. Among Eric's official tasks were teaching math and science at the school, administering camp athletics, and acting as chief translator. He was also a warden for 230 unattached men, women, boys, and girls, which meant he was responsible for their presence at roll call. In January 1945, he began having debilitating headaches and went to the camp hospital. The doctors said the headaches were likely caused by influenza or severe sinuitis and sent him back to his living quarters. And Bukan, a nurse and longtime friend of Eric and his wife, had him readmitted to the hospital, where he began having severe neurological symptoms, halting speech, and partial paralysis of his right leg. Even though they suspected that he might have a brain tumor, the doctors treated him for a stroke. He showed some signs of improvement. Then, on February the 21st, 1945, He had a spasm of choking and coughing. Later in the evening, he had another attack and was attended by a doctor. Eric's friend, Annie Buchan, checked in on him. After observing him, she went to the next room where doctors were discussing Eric and said, Do you realize Eric is dying? They replied, Nonsense. Annie returned to Eric's side and took him in her arms as he whispered, Annie, it's complete surrender. As she watched with tears streaming down her face, he had a convulsion, then slipped into a coma and into the arms of Jesus. An autopsy the next day revealed that Eric had an inoperable tumor on the left side of his brain. He was only 43. Ten days later, the Weissheim prisoners held a memorial service for Eric. After his death, a slip of paper was found. On his last afternoon, he had written the first line of his favorite hymn, Be Still, My Soul. The mourners sang it together, and I'm going to read that uh, hymn at the end of the program today. After the war was over and those children were reunited with their parents, they talked about Uncle Eric and how much he had done for them. While the parents had been praying for God to protect their children in that Japanese prisoner of war camp, God answered their prayers by having Eric Little in place to comfort them and to love them and care for them. I want to read something to you that I read this week by Stuart McAllister, who works with the Robbie Zachariah Ministries. Quote, I do not doubt that there are people who would claim to be satisfied by the pursuit of materialism as a way of life. Nonetheless, we have an abundance of evidence clearly stating the futility of pursuing these ends. If we are purely material beings with our lives confined to the years we have on earth, then perhaps living for pleasure might be a legitimate goal. Yet it seems that the human spirit cannot be reduced to mere matter. Such a a contrast is seen in the movie Chariots of Fire, when the vision of the life modeled by Harold Abrahams, who lives for success in this world alone, is set in sharp contrast to Eric Little, who runs for the glory of God, and in running feels God's delight. In our best moments, we often recognize that we are somehow destined for higher, greater, more enduring things. And that's the end of the quote. Eric Little's hope was not in this world, but for the eternal kingdom where God reigns. In Colossians 3.23, Paul tells us to work hard and cheerfully at all you do, just as though you were working for the Lord and not for your master's remembering that it is the Lord Christ who is going to pay you, giving you your full portion of all he owns. He is the one you are really working for. And so for all the years of his life, even in a Japanese prison camp, Eric Little was working for the Lord. And I'm sure that when he came before the throne of God, he heard, "'Well done, thou good and faithful servant. "'I don't know where you are today,' But in whatever circumstances you find yourself, you can give glory to God by your faithfulness to him and doing the best you can and being cheerful in your work or in whatever you have to do. I received a letter today from a relative who has been in prison several years now for a white-collar crime. My prayer for those in prison is always that those who are Christians will let the light of Christ shine through them. I want to read to you a portion of the letter I received today, quote, just today, a gang member with a life sentence came up to me and asked if I would help him be a better man. He said that he wanted to be respected by others, someone that helped others, and he just wished to carry himself better. That made me feel good. Church, Bible study, or classes in here are tough for me. I know the Lord loves everyone, It's just really difficult to go to these classes. I'm trying to be better. It's just hard. I just wish I was better, end of quote. I do believe this young man is letting the light of Christ shine through him, and he is obviously making a difference for that gang member to come up to him and ask for his help to get better. Do you know anyone in prison? Pray for them not to lose hope, but to hope in God and let his light shine through them so that others may come to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, even in that dark place. Do you know someone in the hospital or in rehab? Do you know someone who has been told there is nothing else that can be done for them? Pray for them not to lose hope in God, but to cast their cares on Christ and pray for healing, either physical healing in this world or healing by having God take them to be with Him, Whereas the Apostle John records in Revelation 21 4, He will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. All of that has gone forever. Randy Alcorn in his book Heaven says, quote, God uses suffering and impending death to unfasten us from this earth and to set our minds on what lies beyond. I've lost people close to me. Actually, I haven't lost them because I know where they are. Rather, I've lost contact with them. I've spent a lot of time talking to people who've been diagnosed with terminal diseases. These people and their loved ones have a sudden and insatiable interest in the afterlife. Most people live unprepared for death. But those who are wise will go to a, to a reliable source to investigate what's on the other side. And if they discover that the choices they make during their brief stay in this world will matter in the world to come, they'll want to adjust those choices accordingly. End quote. You may be near the end of your earthly journey, but if you are able to listen to this program, then you no doubt have the ability to pray. So do what you can. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family and friends. Pray that God will draw unsaved people to him and give them faith to believe. Max Locato says, Faith is the belief that God will do what is right. God says that the more hopeless your circumstances, the more likely your salvation. The greater your cares, the more genuine your prayers. God's help is always available, but it is only given to those who seek it. In Romans 10, Paul says, For the scriptures tell us that no one who believes in Christ will ever be disappointed. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. From a David Jeremiah publication several years ago comes the following story. Hearing that the wife of longtime associate Cliff Barrows had been diagnosed with cancer, Billy and Ruth Graham came calling along with Mr. and Mrs. George Beverly Shea. Sitting by the fire, they spent the afternoon reminiscing and speaking of God's faithfulness. Late in the day, the conversation died down, and in the quietness, Ruth began quoting Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all— How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? These words were almost stunning to me, the Barrow's daughter Betty later recalled. It was a very familiar passage, but never before had I realized the depth of comfort and hope they offered. These words can penetrate any gloom you may feel today. Now I will read to you the last several verses of Romans 8 starting in verse 35. Who then can ever keep Christ's love from us? When we have trouble or calamity, when we are hunted down or destroyed, is it because He doesn't love us anymore? And if we are hungry or penniless or in danger or threatened with death, has God deserted us? No, for the scriptures tell us that for His sake we must be ready to face death at every moment of the day. We are like sheep awaiting slaughter. But despite all this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us enough to die for us. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from His love. Death can't and life can't. The angels won't, and all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow— For where we are, high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. In closing, I would like to read two verses of Eric Little's favorite hymn. This hymn is based on Psalm 4610, Be still and know that I am God. The hymn was written by by Katharina von Schlegel. Be still, my soul, the, S- the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past, all safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. And I leave you with Romans 15:13. So I pray for you that God who gives you hope will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in Him. I pray that God will help you overflow with hope in Him through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thank you for listening.
1: Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. With patience bear thy cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide in every change. guide the future as he has the past